Ever wondered how banks make money? Or what banking as a service really means? Our experts answer some of your biggest questions in our 11FS Explores video series. Finance can be confusing, but we think visualising the problem helps. That's exactly what we do with the help of a lightboard. Check out the full 11FS Explores playlist today at bit.ly forward slash 11FS Explores. Hello and welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. My name is David Breer and today we're going to be talking about all things cloud, specifically how banks and financial services can migrate to the cloud and remain compliant along the way. We've also wanting to examine how technology and regulation can really work together as cloud technology evolves. Joining me to discuss this, we have some super duper awesome guests as always. First up, we have Howard Beauville, who is the SVB at IBM Hybrid Clouds. Welcome to the show, Howard. How are you doing? I'm good, David. Pleased to be here. Can you start us off by telling us a little bit about yourself and uh, what IBM Cloud is all about? Yeah, sure. Um, I've been with IBM since May of last year. Prior to that, I spent eight years in technology role in the financial services industry. And what I saw from that vantage point when I was consuming cloud-based technologies, what there was there was a large gap in the marketplace to meet the needs of regulated industries. And that gap was only widening because of the heritage of the companies that were servicing the needs. Um, and we'll talk about that. And Joanne's going to have a whole bunch of different points shortly as well. She'll dive into in terms of the difference between regulated industries than perhaps um, companies that grew up on the cloud. Very true. Financial services is uh, weird and wonderful in some really wonderful ways, isn't it? But we'll uh, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Lovely to have you on the show, Howard. Um, uh, so that's very much the, the cloud element of this really covered uh, as part of the show. But now we need that compliance. And as Howard said, we're lucky enough to have Joanne Barefoot, who is the CEO and co-founder at Alliance for Innovation Regulation, as well as a co-founder at Hummingbird RegTech. Thanks for coming on, Joanne. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back on the show. No worries at all. Uh, you were saying just before we came on, it's a bit of a, a snowy and blustery world over in uh, in the US right now. How is everything going? Everything is fine. I'm in Washington, D.C., so I think the snow is really hitting uh, the Northeast hard today. New York is going to get a lot of snow, but we just have a lovely winter wonderland here in Washington. Very good. It's always good to look on the bright side of that, isn't it? Uh, snow, snow, and uh, rain and vibes, and uh, always look for the uh, the rainbows. Can you can you tell us a, a little bit about uh, both of those companies that I mentioned, please? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm CEO and co-founder of Air, the Alliance for Innovative Regulation, which is a nonprofit focused on advancing the goals of what we call fair finance through technology and especially through regulatory technology. We want to see the regulatory world move into a completely digitized environment. I'm a former bank regulator in the United States. I was deputy controller of the currency, and uh, I am very sympathetic to how hard it is for regulators to make these kinds of changes. So we work on that in a wide variety of ways. And then I'm also co-founder of Hummingbird, which is a reg tech solution, uh, SaaS uh, solution, which is primarily focused on anti-money laundering. 
Very good. It's a big topic to be facing in AML there for sure. And then touching, as you say, on SaaS systems, and that, that really sort of gets to the heart of uh, a lot of the opportunities in this industry, but a lot of the fear potentially of where those things sit. So, um, all right, well, let's get into the debate because I think there's lots of different uh, opportunities to discuss those things in this. Howard, maybe why don't we start off a little bit? I mean, what are the challenges within financial services in cloud implementation? Because as you say, the difference between organizations that are sort of born into cloud infrastructure outside of financial services, all of this stuff looks really straightforward, doesn't it? You know, you don't have all of the restrictions in the way that those organizations do within FS. But what are the challenges? It's a challenge that faces any legacy um, business. And what I mean by legacy is that it, the way its business processes are served by its applications and its data and its digital supply chain are typically spanned over multiple years. And therefore, those applications aren't in a cloud native construct which is the pattern that the cloud service providers require your applications to be in order for them to run effectively. And nor will they be moving to a cloud-native pattern anytime soon because actually the applications serve their customers and their needs very effectively. So you find yourself in this situation as a financial institution that there are many advantages from a productivity perspective that you can derive from consuming cloud, but you can't apply it to your entire enterprise. And therefore, you're not really helping de-risk a process. And that's the disconnect that sits in what I call chapter one of cloud consumption, in that it's opinionated to the cloud service provider as opposed to opinionated towards the regulated industries and the business processes that they have themselves and the controls you have to put in place. And then the second element that you have as somebody working in the financial services industry is you need to be able to demonstrate to the regulators that you have parity of control with your internal environments and your external environments, whether that's placing your application on somebody else's computers, which essentially is what cloud is, or you're consuming applications from people, software as a service, who also reside on fourth parties that have their environments. And how can you demonstrate and also prove that you have those controls consistently so that you can ensure that the business processes that could introduce systemic risk, if not run properly, are assured to the highest quality? So it's an interesting Guardians not to try and solve, to actually take the benefits you can get from cloud, but apply them to the other elements of the constraints that you have that are very legitimate and need to be there to ensure that the financial system remains um, in a controlled fashion. Yeah, I mean, that that's a... Uh there's a thousand things in that narrative there, right? And actually, as you say, the challenge isn't just one thing. I mean, a, a lot of people, I think, will stand back from cloud adoption and see it as the move from my data center to, as you say, sort of somebody else's data center theoretically. But actually, there's so many layers to that in terms of the setup. I mean, how do you sort of distinguish between sort of those internal problems or the internal inhibitors to that and the external ones? Because, I mean, very much as you say, the external one can be regulation, the regulator, and actually a plethora of regulation around data storage and data provisioning and everything. But actually, sometimes these things come down to inhibitors internally, if only just people's understanding of these topics. I remember, uh, I mean, I've seen it in many a, a big bank provision of service when they're procuring something, the, the ability to walk around your data center and inspect the data center. And it's like, well, that's not going to happen if it's a cloud services where literally they're not going to allow you, they will shoot you if you try and do that. You know, their, their security is very good. So, I mean, changing those behaviors, changing the understanding of the technology, it feels as much of a problem as everything else. Yeah. I mean, so kind of my, I guess, epiphany in terms of how you should think about cloud risk was driven from a regulatory meeting I attended at the OCC, the Office of Control of a Currency, in 2017. 
2015, I started to kind of look at cloud as a capability, but just couldn't find a mechanism to actually derive any value whilst mitigating risk for the financial institution I represented. And in 2017, the actual concern that the OCC had, and we had many other large global systemic risk banks there as well and smaller regionals, was the regulated industry's inability to consume innovation at the pace of non-regulated industries that may introduce other types of risk because of the companies they're moving to financial services. So the problem statements um, that I identified then and started to solve by collaborating with technology companies and then more recently joined IBM because I saw that IBM had the assets and the heritage to play into the space was how could you operate with control and at pace at the same time? It sounds counterintuitive that you put controls in place and you put pace in place. But what I've learned is that Every single financial institution that I would speak to as my friends when I was in the industry and still my friends, but with my new role, I get the opportunity to speak to two or three financial institutions every day and be on a cloud first strategy um, for three, four, five years, but have moved practically no workloads to the cloud because they've got to individually, each institution, determine what their risk posture is, determine what their control framework is, their compliance control framework is, and they have to have the responsibility to build that into the cloud provider that they have. And if they take a second cloud provider, which they need to because of concentration risk, they have to do that again. And then they have to sustain that. The approach I took when I was in my old employer and where I am and started to collaborate with IBM was to work on this thesis that you should build the controls into the cloud at the outset so that you, when you consume it as a financial institution, you're building the same control set, whether you're a regional, whether you're a bank in the US, whether you're a bank in Europe, and you're operating to the highest standard of controls relative to the actual regulatory bodies and the jurisdictions that you operate within. And what that would allow you to do by working on a standards basis was to actually accelerate your pace to innovation. Because if everybody is consuming the same generally available product with the risk built in that takes you down to a lower residual risk, then you don't have to do it all individually. And you don't create this actual more systemic risk in the system where essentially every bank is building its own gauge of railway tracks in terms of the rails that risk runs on, but none of them actually come together. There's a slight point of dissonance in terms of how that comes together. So the problem I've been solving for, both when I was in the industry and now actually serving the industry at IBM, was to allow banks to consume innovation at the quickest pace, but with the right level of controls. Hmm. I mean, that's interesting, isn't it? Because that, I mean, all of the, the points we were making to start with around the concerns and actually the level of risk that potentially can come with that, if you can create that sort of standardized way of doing these things, and particularly where you're talking about integration of third-party capability, then actually these are things that, you know, those connectors into the industry should be able to be standardized if you can do it in a low-risk way. That's a great move. What about, um, I mean, from a cloud perspective, what about from an organizational change perspective? Because uh, often I, I see, again, you know, boiling it down to its basic, people see cloud as, like, say, not your data, data center, somebody else's data center, but that is fundamentally missing the operational capability that can be brought in from adopting cloud in a real way. There's, uh, as you, you touched on Howard earlier on, there's no mistake that organizations that are born into cloud capability, their operation reflects a different structure internally as well. How does that kind of allow banks to sort of catch up in this space a little bit? Because it isn't just what you do, it's the way in which you make it happen. Completely. So, so when you transform an organization, you have to transform organizations all the time because business processes calcify over time and therefore you have to transform them to decalcify them. 
the mistakes that certainly I've made in the past when I've led large transformations, technology transformations in institutions, was to focus on the silicon and not focus on the carbon. So to focus on the technology, but not focus on the people. Now, they're mistakes that I've learned from. So I will be transforming technology stacks to the new way of operating, but then find a whole bunch of people that were either change resistant or hugging to the actual operational habits that they had previously, which is the point that you're making, David, is that people are evaluating risks based upon the way that risk used to be. But when you do things in a different way, there is still risk there, but you need to evaluate that risk in a different way. So you have to change the operating model in the same way as you're changing the actual technology model at the same time. And what you find then is you actually accelerate the transformation as well, because you get people that are no longer change resistant, they're change hungry, because you're reskilling them to think about the new paradigm. But cloud consumption is still very, very nascent um, for regulated industries, not just financial services, but particularly financial services. As I mentioned, they've probably got around 4% of their workloads in a cloud construct. There are a couple of outliers, but those outliers have had material issues in terms of using platforms that are very open and very um, have a wealth of choices, which has meant that then very well-equipped developers and so on have made mistakes because there's too much choice. What you need to do in a regulated industry is to actually remove the choice that can introduce risk for developers or for operators so they can still move at pace. So the operating model piece is really important. And that, that applies to um, not just the technologists, but also the second line, third line and supervisory bodies, second line and third line of the institution for management and supervisory bodies. What we're doing here at IBM is there are five financial services cloud bodies that we've spun up. One is for CIOs, where we continue to ratify the standards um, that we have put forward. And we now have 40 institutions globally involved in that. So it's certainly created a movement where we're getting to a single set of standards on risk posture. The second is for chief information security officers that obviously have a very broad aperture of risk that they look at. And therefore, we kept that as a second body. But to your point, there's two of the bodies that we have. And one is for chief risk and compliance officers. So the second and third line. So the second line in an institution and the fourth is for regulators themselves. And we found that there are more educational and informed bodies as opposed to standard setting, um, because the risk posture and the risk distribution that regulators will have will be relative to the actual jurisdiction that they cover. And then the chief risk and compliance officers need to calibrate between those different areas. And there's still a big misunderstanding as to what cloud is. Um, it's seen as a strategic destination at times, and it isn't. It's just an enabler. It's just a, a place where you can place your applications and data. It's an important component, but it's not a strategy in and of itself. And when you get from that, you can actually understand how it can actually be used. So there's a lot of education we do at IBM to kind of help the various risk functions work their way through this. It's interesting, and, and I completely agree with that sentiment on it. It isn't a destination, it's an enabler, as you say. It's interesting how many organizations I've definitely seen move legacy stacks and, you know, almost infinite monolithic stacks uh, from a, a traditional sense to a cloud sense and think the world is done and their job is done. But actually, I guess if you're incentivizing people purely on that movement rather than actually either decommissioning or de-risking or uh, simplification as it's happening, then you sort of, if you ask the wrong question, you get the wrong answer, don't you? But uh, I mean, how does this play into, and obviously you, you touched on there a little bit around regulators' concern, and, and Joanne will bring you into this in a second, because I think 
you'll have a, a particularly unique perspective on this, having been both sides of this. But actually, the regulators are increasingly, as people are moving more and more into this space, seeing potentially material outsourcing, I think is the terminology that the FCA have used in the UK, uh, but different areas. So how does multi-cloud and hybrid cloud play into that narrative? Yeah, I mean, so actually, just just on your earlier point in terms of people's incentives, and I mentioned I meet with two or three institutions every single day. There is this divergence currently where there's the a situation where institutions are rushing towards the hype of cloud and essentially creating Frankenstein's monster of lots of different piece parts not being brought together in a non-architectural way that essentially a powder clay exit risk. So they want their developers to be faster, so they give them the, the ability to work, use these very open tools. And then the best developers can make mistakes and leave their institution open to data breach issues. Or they go with multiple cloud providers, um, but don't think through the actual how you operate those as they relate to a business process. So if you're in the event of a catastrophic failure of a cloud service provider, and there are incidents with cloud service providers all of the time across all of the cloud service providers, because the way that they run applications is no different to the way you do them internally. So it's open to the same technical operational threat vectors. You can actually prevent a mission critical business process for a bank from working which is a, an area that quite naturally the regulators have a lot of concern around in terms of resiliency of um, processes because it doesn't just affect the institution, it affects the whole ecosystem in terms of how that ties together. So my concern and worry was and still is, is the hype of cloud has got this almost the sense by technologists to be rushing forward to it without thinking appropriately about the architectural risk um, associated with it. Um, and not just in terms of their consumption of their own applications, but also for third and fourth party risk. Third party where they consume software as a, as a provider. And that, from a consumption perspective, is increasing by 10, uh, 15% per annum in large institutions. But very often they don't know which fourth party service provider that, that application runs upon. And very often the controls are on a contract that's written at a commodity basis because the software as a service provider wants the lowest cost of its supply chain. And that is the core element of that application running. Um, and that isn't understood. So the further you move from, say, infrastructure as a service, platform as a service, the software as a service, it becomes more opaque for you to understand where your risk is and more difficult for you to establish what that risk is as well. And because of the very connected, the global connected nature of financial services, it's actually fracturing and introducing more systemic risk in the system than it was before you're actually in, internally on your own platforms in your own um, environments. There's benefits from this, absolutely, but there's going to be a far clearer understanding around the architectural decisions that you're making, the risk that it introduces, and a consistency of um, selection as opposed to chasing after the hype. Yeah. I mean, it is, a, uh, as you say, a bit of a, a spider's web there, isn't it, in terms of the different parts of that. I mean, I, I personally, I think you can trace all bank problems back to procurement problems, because essentially, if a procurement team won't understand, like you say, the third party and even fourth party, as you say, from a, where those things really, really sit, it starts to fundamentally change the, really, the controls over the provisions of service that you can actually give to your customers, can't you? And it's very different if it's, uh, look, I can't get onto Amazon Prime and stream that new episode of that thing that I want to watch. But if it's uh, being in a situation where you're providing key infrastructure to society, then it's a very different thing, isn't it? I mean, Joanne, again, I mean, you've seen different sides of this, I guess, in terms of the debates in uh, organizations and debates in regulators. Um, how have you seen this conversation evolve over the last few years? 
Uh, first, I love Howard's framing of this as that we're in chapter one uh, and that the whole thing is incredibly nascent and that it's loaded with risk. But having said that, I do think that the whole system is going to make this transition as an ecosystem with the regulators and the industry both moving into cloud environments. And when we look at it with the wide lens, the thing we need to do is move the industry and the regulators from their vertical tech stacks that don't interact with each other easily onto a horizontal platform design where you can plug things in and unplug them too if they're out of date or if they're not working and uh, or if you need multiple tools to do the same kind of thing. And it won't be an easy journey, but I think we have to do it just to keep up with the technology. And the regulators are going there. Howard, when you say you talked to the OCC in 2017, that's a long time ago in this world, isn't it? And, you know, they've moved light years in terms of thinking about how they need to respond to the innovation. I say they, meaning the, all the regulators um, in the U.S. And, and globally as well. And... Uh, so getting these issues that we're talking about right is the key, especially the security. And a lot can go wrong, but a lot can go wrong with the legacy technology too, and does. You know, it breaks, you leave a hole and uh, forget to do a piece of it, and, and bad things happen there as well. So we shouldn't have the perfect as the enemy of the good. The um, You know, I think there's a tendency very strongly in the banking and regulatory world to feel like the safe thing is what we're used to and the dangerous thing is the new thing. But I think the legacy systems will be less and less safe as the world around us is much more rapidly developing new technology. I definitely agree with that. I think the challenge, as you say, is is almost if somebody uh, in a bank is there to fix a problem, they are usually held to a higher standard than the the quality of the problem that is there at the moment, isn't it? So it's almost easiest for some organisations to to leave a thing rather than fixing a thing. But how much of this do you think is being and and Howard and and Joanne for for both of you? How much do you think this is being almost accelerated and exacerbated by uh, fintech? And the change that we're seeing in the market. I mean, Howard, you touched on this a little bit earlier on that new players who are being born into a cloud age. I mean, I, I, I've had this conversation a few times before, but you know, Ann Bowden at Starling and Ricky Knox at Tandem, neither of them were, were wondering where they put their data centers. It was very much a you know a, a foregone conclusion. So, I mean, Joanne, do you think this sort of swathe of fintech being born into the cloud is is creating? additional pressure and is that do you think that's a good thing because it's forcing the industry to catch up or do you think it's a a almost pressure they could do without in this period no i think it is happening and that it is a good thing um i won't name names but if you look at some of the very sophisticated large fintechs they've evolved an entirely new compliance model they were born digital they have great data they have great tech and tech people and they are, they've been in the cloud from the beginning. And they have the ability to do what I was describing a few minutes ago. If you go to some of these companies and look at how they do anti-money laundering, they haven't bought some one-size-fits-all vendor that is 
maybe really good at one thing, but not so good at another. They've got a whole stream coming in. If they're doing know your customer checks, they're using a lot of vendors to bring that in. And then they're evaluating it for themselves with their own great tech. And um, it's a superior model and, and more efficient, Mm. more effective and more efficient. And I do think that that's causing education and pressure uh, to the extent the regulators can see it, which is limited. The bank regulators have only limited visibility into that type of a model, but the regulators and the rest of the industry can see that there's a better way to do these things. Yeah. And I think that's an interesting point as well. I mean, and in your, your point around that, uh, moving from vertical stacks to horizontal stacks, that horizontal stack, if you are allowing you know, integrations within your architecture to be really uh, not cemented forever because this is how we're going to do it forever in a day, but to be the thing that allows you to literally integrate services from external into your organization, then whether it's this provider or that provider, it doesn't really matter, does it? And I think that's a, a big shift that we're sort of seeing in, in the industry. So, I mean, Howard, what do you think? Is this um, is this the industry's sort of been boiling this water for a little while and maybe the the big banks and the frogs haven't really sort of seen it yet but the water is now getting hot isn't it because the you know the need for change and the adoption of this change is is really gathered pace yes yeah, so, so charles handy's how you boil a f- frog by saying it the other water by degree but the um i completely agree with the point that, that joanne's making so I- I- innovation is is what keeps um any situation vibrant and relevant to the market it serves and where it was in a vertical context, that innovation then sat within that vertical hierarchy. So innovation would sit within the four walls of a financial institution. And for a while, that was a sufficient competitive moat for them to have 10, 20, 30,000 developers. But in an open environment, a horizontal environment, you can have millions of developers co-developing against different platforms. That's very much the philosophy of new IBM in terms of working with open source and was evidenced by the acquisition that we made at Red Hat, which is an open source community of 8 million developers. So um, the point that Joanne's making is, and, and you're making, David, is completely correct. You get fintechs that join um, a horizontal platform, which is more concerned with the actual process, but using new technologies to actually address whether that's KYC, AML, whatever it may be. And this being world-class at that particular component or a series of components, and then adding and enhancing the existing process and therefore the experience that customers get. And the other point, of course, is, if you're born in a kind of a cloud native construct, you see the world differently because you see it from your vantage point and you can build these new compliance approaches that are lighter and freer as opposed to the calcification that you not only get in a, a more legacy business and its business processes, but obviously how it sees risk. Yeah. I mean, it, it comes back to your point you were making, Howard, it's the carbon, right? It's not the it's not the systems, it's not the silicon, it's not your architecture, it's the, the human beings in your organization being, in some organizations, being given the opportunity to think differently. Uh, in, in, in lots, it's just being told to think differently. Um, and actually, you know, maybe even the, the risk in that, uh, really the risk we're mitigating against as an industry right now is not the risk of doing something. It's the risk of not doing something because essentially the competition uh, and the, the the competitive landscape is meaning that they have to overcome that fear and, and take that leap into uh, doing things that ordinarily they wouldn't have chosen to do. So, I mean, jo- Joanne, this is not... Uh, 
we're not sitting here at the end of this race. You know, this is not something that's done and dusted and there's a, a massive playbook for how you do this within financial services and everybody should just follow it. I mean, but how far are we down this journey? It feels like there's a lot more to do, but it feels doable. Uh, yeah, I agree with both parts of that. I think, I, again, I think we're very early in it, but it's accelerating. You know, something I'd like to remind people of is that we're living in a world where technology is changing exponentially and we're trying to work with it with linear systems and linear brains really and um the the pandemic has been teaching everyone the shape of an accelerated uh, or an exponential change curve having that sort of hockey stick or dog leg shape where suddenly things have doubled and doubled and doubled and then it goes vertical and i believe that organizations that are caught underneath that curve when this is happening usually won't be able to catch up. People have to be investing in these technologies. It, it, it's deceptive because it looks gradual for a long time, but then it isn't. And um, I think we're seeing this throughout the whole financial services and regulatory space. So even though Howard was so right a few minutes ago saying that People are making mistakes by going too fast. That's true. But the giant challenge we have is how to move faster without making those mistakes. Regulators are not wired to do that. They're wired to be careful and cautious and risk averse. That's a feature, not a bug about regulators. They're going to have to figure out how to move faster. Or the thing they're trying to regulate isn't even going to be there anymore after they've spent two or three years working on a new rule or, you know, I'm taking this beyond cloud, but the whole culture, the carbon, I love that framing of the carbon uh, issues instead of, the, instead of the silicon. The whole culture of the regulators is going to have to figure out how to keep pace or really bad things will happen. And you can see to that as well, kind of recent events where kind of fintechs can make arbitrary decisions that takes out liquidity from equity market decisions that then cause huge imbalances. So they have a platform that can operate at scale, it democratizes investments and decisions that, and, and all decisions by and large are well intended, but it's not understanding the second order and third order consequence of the decisions because of the pace that Joanne's talking about, because the changes in terms of having to change and adopt as a business now is critical, but the ability to make changes that operate at immense scale. So once you make a decision, that decision is amplified in terms of the issue it has. The institution I used to work at, we would obsess about digital interactions. Uh, every digital interaction mattered um, because a quality digital interaction could be a positive experience or it could diminish the quality of the relationship. And we would say in the old world, in the analog world, uh, if you have a bad experience, you would tell 11 people. And if you have a good experience, you tell three people. But in the digital world, you can tell 300 million people you've had a good experience and 110 million that you had a bad experience. Everything's accelerated. It kind of brings everything together in terms of the good decisions, the bad decisions, and this three-dimensional chess we now have to play in terms of what's the second order, third order, fourth order issue in these well-intended decisions that we make. And how you, you control and regulate in that environment is the big interesting problem to solve for whilst not hampering um, organizations' ability to actually innovate and move at pace. Yeah, I completely agree with that. It's a uh, it's an interesting world we live in, isn't it? Increasingly financial services is a service and the service that is provided is very transparently shown 
on social media. And that's an interesting sort of reflection back for those organizations, isn't it? And particularly, even if you're providing analog branch-based capability, then the the representation of whether it was good or bad is is always going to be digitally. So um, I, I guess moving on from, from this point then, because essentially we're, you know, we're in a world where there is the ability and I, I feel like I'm quoting Jurassic Park here, but just because you should do something doesn't mean, or just because you could doesn't mean you should, right? So uh, I, I know I'm going to sneak in some '90s movie references at some point in this, but uh, so so is this? What would be the advice you would give moving into this challenge? Because I think um, cloud has disappeared from a sort of an opportunity agenda in any bank that I talk to. It's not it's not something that they they could do. It's something that they have to do to remain competitive, to be in a space where they've got uh, controls over their costs, that they're seeing opportunities for for that rationalization and simplification of, uh, of their technology estate. But but what would be the advice uh, of, of where's the first step for these financial services organizations? Or, or do you think many have taken that first step, whether willingly or knowingly? Because the amount of organizations that I, I've, I've talked to who say, yeah, we've got nothing in the cloud, and then you go and look at the SaaS-based systems that they're using that are all based in the cloud. It's just they don't know it. Um, so what would be your advice to financial services sort of dipping their toe in the waters of, of cloud? Howard? Um, so the it's, so I agree that you've got to move at pace. You absolutely need to move at pace as an organization. But you need to do so with controls in, in financial services because the consequences of not doing so are incredibly bad for world economies, for individuals' data, and so on and so forth. So therefore, you've got to kind of regather around architectural pieces. So what is it you want to do with cloud? So we've established on this call, the cloud in and of itself is not a strategic destination. It's just an enabling tool. So what's the business problem that you're solving for? Um, and the best way to tie that is to tie it to critical business processes. What are you looking to do to transform your process? What's the system that runs that process currently? And how can you free up that process to be more agile, whatever it may be, in terms of the problem that you're looking to solve for? And then to do so with the appropriate light level of controls to ensure that you can actually effectively monitor that you're meeting what those controls are. Now, the good thing about controls, as opposed to perhaps heritage architectures, is they're more automated and there are more links and there's more mechanisms to link to different systems. So from an automation perspective, you can actually start to pull in an automated fashion a dashboard that can be very finely grained so that you can see that when you're flying your ship or your plane or whatever the analogies that you want to use, that you're starting to go off course relative to your controls and what you want to achieve. But you've got to start knowing what problem you're solving for because the answer isn't cloud, what's the problem? And chapter one's all about that. Yeah, The answer's cloud, what's the problem? The answer's cloud, and it isn't that. You need to understand yourself in terms of what's the business problems that you're looking to solve for and then work through that and use the capabilities of cloud to help solve for it. Um, and on chapter one, financial institutions are looking at cloud, but they're all in a place where they're all telling the electricity makers how to make electric electricity because they're all doing it on their ver- own variants. It literally is that situation. But that's also, if I could just make one final point, that's also the nature of companies that don't have a heritage in servicing enterprises, large enterprises. And that's where the by and large, the large cloud service providers have come from. They're used to serving the gig economy. They're not used to what it is to operate in the adult structures you have to operate within in enterprises to ensure that you protect data, you protect the critical services that you're providing. And you see this a lot 
and there's a lot of debate in the media around platforms, whether it's cloud platforms or platforms that are social media platforms, but they're still platforms where the responsibility is abdicated by the platform owner and it's passed on to the actual owners. It's not their fault that content is put on there that's defamatory. It's not their fault that issues have arisen with applications not working properly or developers have done things that are wrong. And that was the issue that I saw in the marketplace when I started to look at cloud in a real sense in 2015 and, and through all the various regulatory reviews that I would go through my time in banking was you needed to work with companies at the heritage that implicitly understood they can't abdicate responsibility of their platform to you. And it isn't shared responsibility either because that doesn't, that's great. That doesn't give you any clear sense. It's clear lines of first name, last name, and a middle name, if there's two people with the same name, have got responsibility. So you can point in in terms of what that responsibility is. So it's, it's having clarity in terms of what the problem is you're solving for and having first name, last name responsibility of who does what. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, the regulator never really worries about whose systems it was, it was whose license is providing the financial services products, right? So, and I guess, uh, Joanne, like this is a, there's tension there, you know, there's tension between advancement from a technological perspective and the the regulation and the regulators in this space. I mean, it's not quite that we've got the, you know, the regulator driving the car and the the technology kids in the back saying, are we there yet? But but how can we foster a better relationship or foster more of a, a, an open dialogue between them? And do you think enough is being done in that space? This is one of the things we do at AIR, my organization, to try to convene this type of dialogue across the whole sector, including the regulators. And it's, you know, it's fits and starts. It's very uneven. The handbook that the bank examiners use, the Federal Financial Institutions Examination Council, I always try to declare an acronym free zone in these conversations because everybody's got their acronyms, but um, that's the FFIEC in the United States, was updated in 2015, I think, for the first time since 2004. So it had been written before there were cloud environments, at least in banking. And um, so, you know, the I, I hear the stories from fintechs that are vendors that are being examined and the examiner would come in and say show me your server room and who has access to the keys and they'll say we don't have a server room and they'll say what's your fire suppression system for you know they're going down their checklist and they say we don't have a fire you know what's a fire suppression system you know that's not that long ago that that's where we were and um now I'm not saying that this is happening anytime soon, but I am starting to hear regulators say in public that they foresee the day when they'll be criticizing a bank for using the old technology instead of the new technology. Right now, it is reversed. The, the, especially the field examiners who are the ones in the bank looking at what they're doing. There's It takes time for the new policy to suffuse the whole system. And so many examiners are leery of new solutions when they see them and and banks are compliant you know if anything they're going to make sure they please their examiner that's going to tip over to the point where they'll be as we see in the infosec realm to a greater extent already they're going to look at old technology and they're going to say this isn't good enough you're being attacked by people who uh, are using new technology you can't defend it with the old technology so anyway, I think the whole system is moving and uh, 
it's going to be a bit painful, but I think when it gets put together, it'll be a superior system. Yeah. I mean, it is a challenge, isn't it? And it's a constant challenge. I was speaking to Chris Willard, actually, at the FCA this morning, uh, and uh, and he was saying it's like the advancements in his period of time while he's been at the FCA in terms of the understanding of technology has been the standout change during his period of time at the FCA. So, I mean, how do regulators educate themselves on technology to a significant enough level to be able to then regulate efficiently on it? Or is there a a sort of a, the industry and the regulation sort of learning as we go, essentially? Well, they are learning as we go, but the FCA, as your listeners probably know, I'm confident in saying has led the world in regulatory innovation. The Monetary Authority of Singapore gives them a a close race on that. But I've been very close to watching how the FCA has made this transformation. And part of what they did was they created environments where they could get hands-on with new tech through their sandbox, especially, uh, so that they can learn by doing, learn, get under the hood of some of these new technologies. And then the, another thing they've done, and regulators all over the world are doing this, is they they brought in a lot of data scientists uh, and technology people at the FCA. Many, many. I shouldn't be the one to say the numbers, but it, it is, their model is unique in the world. But we, we're seeing this in the U.S. as well. And um, so you've, partly you can solve it through recruiting some different people, which is challenging. I like to say tech people think regulation is boring but they're wrong. These are not boring problems. These are important problems. If you want to, you know, shut down human trafficking by catching money launderers or um, uh, make the financial system more fair to people, these are green fields of technology opportunity to come into the regulatory environment. And, and we are seeing people starting to do that. Um I do think there's need for more infrastructure, more training. I speak to that group I mentioned every year or twice a year on technology. But I, I mean, we at AIR have thought about creating what we call a like a boot camp for regulators on just learning the basics of tech because it's uh, there are a lot of them who really are kind of at the starting point, and then there are some, of course, that are really very sophisticated. It's interesting. I think you. Uh, we, we keep going back to the same point. It, it's um, the regulations are just like rules written down, right? It's the people that apply these things. It's the people who kind of uh, will say what is acceptable and not acceptable within those organisations. And I think there is there has definitely been a shift from the regulator being, you know, the person tapping the stick when something's gone wrong to the organisations that are really working with people in order to ensure it doesn't go wrong. Um, and obviously, I mean, Howard, from a from a technology perspective, I'd say technology companies have a responsibility in that as well, because educating an industry, and I, you know, I deem the regulator obviously a very large part of that industry, then technology companies work really, really closely now, I, I think, with with regulators of all different times, whether it's, you know, the Fed or the Bank of England or the FCA or uh, MAS, as, as you say, Joanne. So how do you think, Howard, that technology companies can do more in that space? Because, you know, the technology is rapidly expanding and the capability expanding. So keeping everybody up to speed is is critical, isn't it? It, it is, but it's interesting. The regulated industry actually is, is very lightly, sorry, the technology industry is very lightly regulated. So as I, I came from um, being under supervisory exams every month for different elements of all of the, the technology I ran. 
And you can't graft that onto somebody in a moment. It's after years and years and years of kind of going through that. IBM is the only technology company that actually is supervised by a regulatory body, by the Financial Banking Authority. And none of the other technology companies are. We go through these similar exams, same exams as the financial services institutions do. So therefore, their outlook is entirely different. It's, and it's based upon the heritage of the company. So if you're a company that has built a wonderful business monetizing data, then that's in your DNA. You, you think about taking other people's data and making money out of it. If you're a company that wants to give as much choice to developers as possible, because that's how you get developers onto your platform, then that's all you understand. When actually, if you're a CIO in a regulated industry, not just financial services, you don't want your developers to have that much choice um, because you're just running a, a roulette game as to when the actual ball runs on the wrong color um, from issues arising. But in terms of getting commonality of understanding, um, I often would discuss with the various regulatory bodies that we were covered in this, the global bank I worked within. In terms of seconding technologists out of banks into a regulatory body, um, and even the CIOs at the end of their careers going into a regulated industry as well, so that you get the different the blend of the different perspectives. Um, um, and in and the more junior IT people coming move back into financial services, having built an empathy and an understanding as to what needs to take place from a regulatory perspective, as opposed to being an overhead, which somebody who's a new emerging technologist in their thirties is messy as an issue, as opposed to a beautiful problem to solve for, which it is, as Joanne mentioned. As a technologist, you tend to think in ones and zeros. But then when you add the regulatory element, you use the other side of your brain. So ensuring that you have artificial intelligence that doesn't put prejudice into credit risk applications is a, an important problem to solve for and a difficult problem to solve for. And if you like solving from there, they are. The company that Joanne's involved in in terms of anti-money laundering, in terms of dealing with human trafficking, a very, very important problem to solve for where you use both sides of your brains to pull those together. So regulations are very, very important not just for financial services, for other core markets that IBM faces off to healthcare, telco, and the government for, uh, for different reasons. So it's how we think about as industries sharing skills of people into different areas to do assignments as part of our corporate responsibility um, to the markets that we address and the, and the communities that we serve, I think is an, an important dimension to get that kind of level set um, so we can continue to ensure we can move at pace, but with the right level of control. Mm. And it's interesting. I, I completely agree with what you're saying there. I think the, you know, the DNA, and actually it goes back to what we were saying about incentives as well. I think the uh, having those things aligned makes life a lot easier, doesn't it, in terms of that value chain, in terms of where people are going. But but what what happens next in this space then? Because I mean, we've been. I mean, I don't mean just us. Like, uh, but but actually, people have been talking about cloud for a long time. Like back when I was at Lloyd's Banking Group in 2012, there was uh, various different elements that we were testing and doing uh, and different banks are at very different places you know globally and various different sort of locals as well so uh, i mean do you think banks have it in them to make this journey to, and and do this process i mean because it's a lot uh, how it is you say it's a there's a lot and actually not often are people really considering all of the benefits in it so it seems like a a hygiene infrastructure thing rather than a strategic level of change. What do you think? Yes, I mean, so, so as I said, I joined IBM in May. And then since May of last year, we set up four councils, which is hard to do joining a new company during pandemic, assuming everybody virtually. But um, you can also accelerate your ability to meet people quickly in different time zones. So since May, we've set up these four financial services councils, one for CIOs, one for chief information security officers, the second for um, chief risk and compliance officers, and the third for uh, regulators. 
And the interest and demand has been huge. Um, we held two of them um, last week. We hold them every quarter. We held the chief information officer one last week and the chief information security officer uh, one last week as well. And we have 40 different institutions. Every week, there are five or six new institutions coming on board. And we're all starting to ally around creating a set of standards, agreeing to a set of the control standards. So the respective interpretation of the laws, rules and regulations by the institutions consolidated into one framework by which they all operate to. Um, because currently, um, in certain regulatory environments, banks will be uh, receive horizontal exams for their cloud consumption. So JP Morgan, Bank of America, Wells Fargo will get examinations at the same time, but they're evaluated on their own specific version of how they want electricity, to use the analogy I used previously, as opposed to using the same set of standards. And as a consequence of that, the regulators will find differences and call one institution out for the other while not necessarily improving the risk posture. The other thing that we've been driving uh, within IBM is to create an ecosystem for third-party software as a service providers to land on the IBM platform. Um, and, and increasingly, the word cloud is just a mode of consumption. It's the value derived. So because we built the laws, rules, and regs into the platform over the past three years from when I was providing them and many other institutions have now provided their, their capabilities, we have a platform with standards built in, right from confidential compute in terms of how the silicon is used to protect your data to the highest levels of cryptography and encryption, right for it to software. Um, and if you're a third party and you land on that, that's really valuable to you because it means the brain damage that institutions put upon you through vendor risk assessments is minimized because actually you inherit the controls of the IBM cloud for financial services. It also means the bank, to go back to the, the OCC meeting I attended in 2017, concern around the ability to uh, consume innovation at the pace necessary is reduced because it no longer takes about 18 months to two years to onboard um, a fintech, which you may have experienced when you were at Lloyd's. It, it can be done so in, in a matter of weeks because many of the controls are built into the actual platform that you run upon. So there's a huge shift now, but it's around boring things like standards and getting an agreement around things and the architecture, um, which, yeah, bar humbug, they're boring, but they actually accelerate your pace to consume cloud. And then the final thing within that as well as IBM, the philosophy I had before I joined IBM was that you consume multiple cloud providers because of the value that they derive. And you need to do so in financial services because you've got to ensure you mitigate concentration risk. So with a platform that we are creating here, that I'm creating, I'm partnering with the other cloud service providers so that we can help de-risk for the whole industry, not just for one proprietary solution from IBM, because that isn't in alignment with the philosophy that we have, that if you work with an open standard, you get the pace of innovation of 8 million developers, as we have with Red Hat, as opposed to tens of thousands. And when you have 8 million pairs of eyes, so 16 million pairs of eyes looking at lines of code, you drive out more issues associated with security issues, as we saw with SolarWinds. Um, companies that are proprietary software shops have less controls to take out the issues that they face. When you work in an open environment, you get more people looking at controls. So, that, so I'm very optimistic about how we address this and that we come through this, this very early stage of cloud consumption for, for enterprises and particularly regulated industries. But it has to got to be done with um, boring stroke, beautiful things like controls, um, architectural standards, and standards. I mean, uh, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of fun things in those boring things, though. Uh, sorry, go on, Joe. <laughs> I just cannot agree more strongly with what Howard has said. First of all, we have to have this open source architecture that will make the and the standards to make these 
solutions interoperable. And the FCA has taken the lead with this. They're working on the standards issue. Howard, I struggle every day with the problem that people think that the standards, the data standards that we need are plumbing, you know, boring problems. They really are the the golden uh, uh, solution that we have to figure out how to get in place. And they do have to be open and interoperable, and then everyone can build their proprietary solutions on that. Those this is the future, and the industry is going to go here because they, the lack of cloud and the ability to use data and AI in the legacy systems. Number one is undermining the the customer experience on the front end. Millennials are the biggest generation in the history of the world. People are not going to put up with terrible UX. You know, I'm a baby boomer. I won't put up with it either. And secondly, um, on the back end, I wrote a series of papers. I was a senior fellow at Harvard for a couple of years and have a series of papers looking at these problems. And, um, you know, the cost of just compliance, not to mention inefficient operations overall, but even just regulatory compliance is enormous. And it's because we're doing most of it, automating old manual processes or still doing it manually. We don't need to do it that way. There's an opportunity to please everyone by bringing down inefficiency and high costs and driving up value to the customer by adopting these tools. And companies that don't do it will not be able to compete either on cost or on attracting customers. It's just true. 100%. Yeah, 100% agree. You know, people who take analog and just make a digitized thing are not really leveraging what digital is, right? And I think I completely agree with you both, both your points. This is I mean, the most beautiful buildings in the world are built on fantastic foundations and actually great regulation, great uh, cloud capability and great architecture really, really sort of creates that for people. So on that note, we're probably going to have to leave it because I think we could probably run for hours and hours on this one. We'll have to get you guys back and uh, and do more conversations on this. But but let's uh, let's wrap up on that high note. All right. Uh, Howard, where can people learn a little bit more about you and the, the work you're doing at IBM? IBM.com. Um, easiest place to go to to actually find out about the things that we're doing. Uh, we think cloud's super important, super open. We're not competing against other cloud service providers. You don't think win things through wars, you win them through collaboration. So we're taking a very different philosophy and approach to how the institutions should think about cloud. Fantastic. Joanne, where can people find out more from you? So Hummingbird is at hummingbird.co. And again, it's compliance solutions, especially AML. And then AIR is at regulationinnovation.org. And I would mention that we have a paper there called a RegTech Manifesto, which we intentionally named in a provocative way to try to get people to read it. It is a request for comments. We're getting comments from all over the world on how to modernize and digitize the regulatory system. It's really a robust conversation. And last thing I'll mention is we also co-chair a SIG, a special interest group, with the FINOS nonprofit, the FinTech and uh, Open Source Foundation, which has a project with the Linux Foundation to develop regulatory open source solutions. It's quite new. We want to attract everyone who's interested in these problems into coming and finding great, I'll follow up with you, Howard, fascinating um, 
solution for for these regulatory issues. Fantastic. Well, there's so many amazing things happening in this space. Uh, keeping on top of it is always the challenge. So uh, we'll drop some of those links into uh, in, into the show notes for everybody here to uh, pick those things up. Uh, as for me, you can always find me over on LinkedIn, just David Breer. Drop me a connection. Uh, thank you very much for listening this week. If you do like what you've heard, then subscribe to this podcast. And don't forget to leave us a review. It really helps everybody else find the episodes as well. As always, if you want to join the conversation, you can find us on pretty much every social media channel at this stage. Just search for 11FS or Fintech Insider or email us on podcast at 11FS.com. Thank you very much for joining us, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye.